Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. everybody i would say what day it is but it doesn't matter you're listening to the bauer and rose show the bauer and rose podcast on sirius xm the patriot channel 125 wherever you get your podcast gary bauer the uh, the bright one tom rose here the good looking one we have found out some uh, extraordinary stuff over the past couple of days I don't even know where to begin, but the stuff coming in on Hunter is so incredible. And, Joe, that this can only mean one thing. It's time for another Trump indictment. We have found, Gary Bauer, that you don't really even need to donate to a campaign anymore. You can just pay the family directly as... Uh, major Democrat donors have done with Hunter Biden's magnificent art. We now know for sure, you and I have been asking for weeks, for months, what is the Biden family business? Well, we know what it is now. It's a foreign lobbying operation that sells access for policy. That is the Biden family business. Democrats are still trying to claim there's no connection to Joe. Well, of course not. Because all the entities that have power to investigate refuse to do so. They cover up, they stonewall, they lie, they withhold evidence. And what we know so far, all of everything that we know so far is in spite of the fact that all of the Fed's efforts to prevent any of this from being known, let alone investigated or prosecuted, nonetheless, we have a litany I mean, I wrote this stuff down, a litany of things that we now know. Do you need me today? It sounds like you've got this show covered I because I got other things to do. Uh, no, you're you're absolutely right, Tom. Uh, and, and of course, when they say, as they said at the White House yesterday, uh, Hunter Biden is a private citizen. This has nothing to do with the president. The president loves his son. Uh, and you know, we, we're sure this will, will be resolved. Well, it has everything to do with the president because what Hunter Biden was doing was selling access to, drumroll, Joe Biden. That's what this was all about. So the, the fact that the, the judge yesterday or the, the fact that the judge this week uh, did not just rubber stamp this plea deal but instead said, uh, wait a minute, what, what's your understanding of what's covered in the deal? And she got one answer from Hunter Biden's lawyers and another answer from uh, the, the prosecution uh, about whether the deal covered uh, criminal charges that have not yet taken place related to Hunter being an unregistered foreign agent of entities in countries that are enemies of the United States. So it has everything to do with the president as well as Hunter Biden. Now, I don't know, Tom, whether anything significant will happen here, because I, I think the initial reporting on all this was inaccurate. The initial report suggested that uh, Hunter Biden essentially pleaded not guilty and was now going to let this go to trial. He was going to you know, roll the dice and risk uh, what a jury uh, would do in some city, right, that's going to be overwhelmingly Democrat. We know what those juries would do. But that's not really the likely thing that's going to happen here. The judge gave them a deadline to come back to her with a new plea agreement that she could sign on with 
good in, in good conscience. And I would assume, given the uh, the amount of resources and left wing attorneys and all the rest of it, that the other side is amassed, that they will be be able to come up with that deal once again, crushing the spirits of all of us who, for at least a brief period. Uh, had a little springtime uh, erupt on the idea that maybe the American legal system is not completely lost its blindfold uh, and its willingness to treat everybody the same. Because as we have said to the point of, um, of, of making people no doubt physically ill, if any normal American, any average American, any hardworking American uh, engaged in the things that Hunter Biden engaged in, their butt would be in jail for one heck of a long time. How are they going to come back with another plea that avoids jail time for Hunter? I can't imagine a spoiled, rotten punk like him agreeing to serve jail time. Well, I, I'm assuming that the, the, the New Deal is going to have to be harsher, is it not? Not necessarily in the way that you're suggesting. Um, the, the New Deal, I, she did not object to the deal because it provided no jail time. She objected to the deal because it appears that at least one side of the partnership here thought that Hunter, Hunter Biden was going had to get out of jail car free for things he has not yet been charged with. In other words, a blanket immunity. Right. And that she cannot in good conscience. So I think if they come back and say, uh, you know, community service, uh, you know, this or that. Uh, but with no uh, nothing whatsoever about any new charges, um, I, I think Hunter will agree to that. And I think the judge would agree to that. And so then I would say, would it pass the smell test? The answer, of course, I can predict. Of course, it's not, nothing in the Biden family, nothing in the Justice Department, the FBI passes the smell test. But have we crossed, have we reached a tipping point where... There has to be more uh, media attention and focus on this matter than has existed in the past, which, of course, is nil. We spoke the other day about this double perfect storm, an in inverse and proportionate uh, relationship between the huge resources that are going into investigating Donald Trump at the same time, there's an inverse relationship between the cover-up by these same agencies and organizations, law enforcement organizations, to prevent any investigation of Joe Biden. You indicated earlier that you, you also knew what the Biden family business was, and that was access to Joe. But I take it a step further. It's access in exchange for policy. The reason I say that is because we now know through bank records that the House Oversight Committee has obtained that include more than, I think, 170 suspicious activity reports that banks are required by law to report to the Treasury Department, 170 related to Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, that Joe Biden's policy portfolio as vice president somehow managed to dovetail perfectly with Hunter Biden's business areas, quote unquote. Joe Biden was put in charge by President Obama of policy relating to Ukraine. Guess what? Hunter has business dealings with Ukraine, many of whom are now either in Ukrainian prisons or awaiting sentencing. Uh, Joe Biden was responsible for managing, trying to manage the U.S.-China relationship. Guess what? Hunter's business dealings with Chinese corrupt officials who are either in jail or missing. And uh, the evidence mounts, and yet you have even, you even have newspapers like the Wall Street Journal. Well, I guess this is how far we've, we've dropped, Gary. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal, I'm about to congratulate because at least it covers the story. The New York Times, as of today, has not even mentioned it. But the journal always says, unverified accusations, unproven accusations, 
Of course, the reason they're unproven or unverified is because there's an effort to ensure they're not investigated. Yeah, you know, Tom, it, uh, you, you've raised a lot of different things here. I mean, just on this last point, it, it is bizarre and it's it's disturbing how the power of the left can force reporters and media outlets, including Fox News and The Wall Street Journal, to repeat almost like a, a religious chant certain phrases when reporting on the news of the day. So anytime a story is written in any paper in America or talked about on any network in America, and the subject is about whether there was cheating in the last election, the phrase is always in there um, on the question of election fraud, of which there have been has been no proof after multiple investigations. That phrase is always there. It, on this particular story, every time they mention the judge's name, even on Fox News, they go, a President Trump appointee. Every time they mention Weiss's name, appointed by President Trump. They don't do that when judges appointed by Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Bill Clinton struck down things that Trump was trying to do or do something that's favorable to Biden today. They don't go, the three judges, all appointed by Democrats. They don't do that. It's only when it comes to this particular slice of it, it, it is astonishing. Uh, it's, it's got all the markings of living in a totalitarian society. Or certainly a, a creeping authoritarian society. David Weiss, who's the uh, U.S. attorney for Delaware, who was, quote unquote, appointed by President Trump. Well, that's true. On the other hand, he works now for Merrick Garland. Right. So why not say a Merrick Garland employee rather than a Trump appointed judge? And of course, the attempt now to discredit the blown up plea bargain in Wilmington, <coughs> pardon me, earlier in the week, Trump appointed judge. Well, that's not exactly true. There are thousands of smaller U.S. district court judges. The only way they can be confirmed after a president nominates them is if they have the consent of the two senators from the state where the judge will sit. Exactly. In the case of Delaware, they're both Democrats. Right. So yeah, both, no. of the Demo <laughs> both of the Democrat senators had to exceed. If one didn't, they could submit what is called, and you know this better than I do, a judicial hold or a nomination hold. Yeah, I think it's actually called a blue letter or a green letter. Yeah, blue slip. Blue slip. Blue slip. There you go. Yes. Which is which is written into the Senate rules, or maybe it's an unwritten rule, but it still applies. Any senator, Rand Paul does this to great effect, to his credit. Rand Paul does this. A, a senator can submit an objection to a, US, to a, a circuit court judge, and that's the end of that circuit court judge until the senator who submits the blue slip is either satisfied or not. And so the notion that this is a Trump-appointed judge flies in the face of reality. And in fact, it was the two Democrat senators from Delaware that appointed that judge or approved that judge anyway. Yeah, you know, there's another thing here, Tom, and I guess we're probably getting too far off the uh, off the theme, but um what is the theme? I have no idea, uh, but but I know it's the same theme we have every week, and and I know that my wife loves it, and your friends love it, and uh, yeah. So I guess we're you know, as long as we're pleasing our audience, that's that's the important thing. You, you know, one of the reasons, and I, I, I seriously, this is a little bit of a detour, but one of the reasons sometimes we are disappointed in judges appointed by Republican presidents is that. If they are actually constitutionalists, which was what we try to do, they will sometimes have to rule in a way that disappoints us. And the most obvious example that I always think of is when the Supreme Court ruled that burning a flag, an American flag, as long as it was your American flag. I mean, if you if you burn somebody else's American flag, that's you know, that's destruction of property. You can be uh, prosecuted for that. But if you you have your own American flag and you burn it, the Supreme Court has ruled that is a form of free speech. 
And I think the the ruling was overwhelming. I think it was seven to two or something like that, including Justice Scalia voting that it was uh, free speech. And a lot of conservatives, I was upset about it. But it is a legitimate constitutional position that that sort of thing is a form of speech. On the other hand, when you are a left-wing judge that believes in a growing, breathing constitution, you're, you're not limited by what the founders meant when they wrote certain words. You can come up with anything you want to, to want to come up with. And so liberal judges almost never disappoint the liberals that appointed them. And that's... And you've just brilliantly defined why that is. I don't know about you. I want a living, breathing mortgage on my house. (laughs) I want a living, breathing auto loan. I want a living, breathing student loan. Well, actually, those exist now because you just don't have to repay. Sadly, what we've got are living, breathing mortgage rates that are reset uh, if if it's adjustable. And right now, that's causing a lot of people to get nearly suicidal as Biden interest rates hit a 22-year high. I know. My my only point was that the Constitution as a contract between the people, the states, and the federal government is a contract just like a mortgage is. And a mortgage isn't reinterpreted over the life of the loan. You are obligated either you sign an adjustable rate mortgage, you sign a fixed rate mortgage, you sign one with a balloon, but whatever it is, you got to adhere to those terms. So the Constitution cannot be a living, breathing document any more than your home loan can be a living, breathing document. Yeah, you know, Tom, uh, I've told this story before, uh, but our audience has grown massively since then, so I'll quickly repeat it. Uh, not only was I... We're in, we're in double figures now. Oh, right? my goodness. Uh, I, I think triple figures, maybe. Um, many people were upset with, among others, Scalia's vote that, that flag burning is a form of free speech. Uh, among the dissenters on that Scalia decision or that Scalia position was Mrs. Scalia. Uh, Scalia tells the story when he was uh, still with us of coming home that night and he there was a little, you know, how households tend to have a little rhythm to them. Things happen in a certain way. He was used to coming home in the evening and Mrs. Scalia would be in the kitchen with a drink ready for him and he would walk into the kitchen and she would hand him the drink and they would uh, commensurate about their days. And so on the day that decision came out, he walked into the house and walked into the kitchen and there was nobody there and there was no drink on the table. And he calls out his wife's name. And in a few seconds, what he hears is his wife marching through the house with a little flag singing, it's a grand old flag, it's a high (laughs) five. She was furious about the decision. I think it's safe to say that not only did Justice Scalia not get his drink, he didn't get lucky that night. It took her a number of weeks to forgive him for allowing uh, the burning of the American flag as a constitutional right. And that was before DoorDash. So my guess is he had to fend his own way for dinner. Yeah. Here's what we know. Here's what we know so far. I wrote this down. So you got to you got to humor me on this. This is what we know so far. And I only spent about 10 minutes on this. So God only knows how uh, incomplete the list is. But this is based on the uh, FD 1023s, the highly uh, serious uh, whistleblower they're, they're more than that. These FD-23s are uh, legal documents that are filed with the FBI uh, under threat of perjury. They're formal affidavits. If you lie or misrepresent on an FD-23, that's a, a felony with prison time. These come from highly paid, highly regarded sources In other words, these are people that are hired by the FBI because they're viewed as very credible. This is what we know, and Chuck Grassley, to his credit, has released these FD-23s. They're heavily redacted, but they're available online. This is what what I got out of it. Joe uh, used $25,000 worth of burner phones to speak to Hunter and his business partner. Joe uh, attended meetings 
and dinners with Hunter's business partners. Hunter's business partners uh, visited the White House on dozens of occasions uh, to see Joe. Hunter's business partners traveled together with Hunter and Joe on Air Force Two. They all independently and coincidentally referred to Joe in all digital and written communications as the big guy. We know that the allegations, which are credible, is that Hunter shakes down or shook down business partners with Joe in the room. These informants testify under oath that Joe Biden was bribed and that his partners all write in emails to each other to hold 10% for the big guy. We know that Joe uh, was on the phone, or at least the informant's claim, was on the phone with Hunter and these business partners at least two dozen times. Allegations that Joe met with Hunter's business partners hundreds of times. Joe miraculously seems to know all of Hunter's main business partners by their first names. This is a guy who can't tell the difference between his wife and his sister, um, which could lead to that? real That's, problems right, for right. any man. <laughs> right. So if 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 Joe is so clean, um, why did the CIA lie about the laptop? Why did the FBI deny for three years it had the laptop? Um, they deny they knew about it. They denied the existence of these FD ten twenty threes. Chris Ray did under um, under oath before. A Senate committee, and then when Grassley revealed he'd already read the FD-23, so he knew they existed, Christopher Ray changed the story. Why did the DOJ prevent IRS investigators from uh, pursuing any leads against Hunter? Why did the DOJ prevent um, uh, any of the investigators by tipping off the Biden family in advance? How come search warrants were blocked? And I guess the question I have, because if it's successful, I want to do it. Why do you set up 20 shell companies if you've got a legitimate business, which begs the question, what is the family business? And we now know here at Bower and Rose, it was an access for policy bribery scheme. Yeah, Tom, this is the old, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, et cetera, et cetera, it's a duck. Um, Look, the... Uh, Hunter Biden's deposits in these banks were right underneath the limit of what has to be reported to the Treasury. So, you know, any deposit over $10,000 has to be reported to the Treasury. But he was making deposits of like $9,998, which also had to be reported to the Treasury. That is, the rule says Regular deposits of $10,000 or more have to be reported to the Treasury or deposits that appear to be an effort to just get under the requirement of when you have to report them to the Treasury. So everything he did, uh, including setting up these shell companies, is in itself evidence of a nefarious business purpose to escape the, the reach of the law. And uh, somebody famously said, you know, uh, somebody associated, it'll take them decades to unravel all these shell corporations, none of which had any business purpose other than to provide another filter, another way to wash uh, the clean, the funds that were coming from interests in communist China, interests in Ukraine and elsewhere, and that was going to line the pockets of the Biden family, something which Hunter Biden on his now verified uh, laptop uh, vehemently and, and angrily complained about that all his life he was working hard, selling his soul to these interests and so he could give the big guy his cut. So the, the evidence here is overwhelming when these freaking reporters, including the ones at Fox, that say, well, so far, uh, nobody's connected any of this to the president. It's all right there. The only thing that one can say is so far, uh, this uh, crime family and its deep state allies have been so coordinated, so committed, they have 
been able to prevent justice from being done. But any reasonable person, not clouded by ideology or a desire to continue marching America down the road to authoritarianism, uh, knows what, what's been going on here. Now, we've spent the past 24 minutes in describing in detail the corruption of the Biden family. We've just spent 24 minutes uh, laying the case out for a new Trump indictment. Because they're going to have to change the focus here. So naturally, all this does is indicate the necessity and the need for another Trump indictment, which my question is, what happens to the 10 million? We think it's 10 million when it's discovered in a grandkids shell company. Of course, not the granddaughter that the Biden family uh, mercilessly denies. How is that explained? I, I know he's got extraordinary grandkids. I, I mean, I, I don't mean to take anything away from their uh, absolutely almost preternatural brilliance and business acumen. But what happens when that's discovered? How much longer can they say there's no evidence? Yeah. You know, what I, the only thing I've been able to come up with on that, Tom, is is that they'll say uh, that it's it's the result of a gift from uh, whatever, wherever the money went first, then whoever was controlling that entity made gifts to other family members. But of course, if you make a gift that is larger than $14,000, I believe it is, in a calendar year, you have to report that gift to the IRS because it counts against the current, I believe, $12.5 million yeah. yeah. So I, I doubt if uh, I doubt if that requirement has been has been met by the, the Biden, uh, the Biden family. So it look, it, it stinks to high heaven. Uh, the, Tom, the, the the other factor here is if if they've got such a hold over the FBI, the Justice Department, most of the IRS, except for a couple of these whistleblowers, um, we, we should expect that these people will continue to do whatever they have to do to keep the Biden family from ever fully experiencing uh, their day of justice. Because uh, if Donald Trump gets into office and all this is, you know, uh, is is exposed, there are going to be people in all these agencies very high up that How's are going to follow, follow their own. They're going to have their own. How, day, how, right? is that, how is that all going to get exposed? And I would be thrilled. And I think it's critically important that Donald Trump get reelected again. I, I know that violates some internal um, uh, commitments or obligations or responsibilities. But I think the situation, and we've talked about this, is now so serious, it borders on a national emergency. And that's, that is reason enough, I think, to reelect Donald Trump. But he's going to root out. I mean, you got to, this is an 80 year, there are two and a half million federal bureaucrats that work for these agencies that are almost entirely all Democrats. I mean, how is Donald Trump, who will have a very difficult time, by the way, finding um, cabinet officials that would be prepared to serve because of the threat that the past eight years has demonstrated to anybody that's remotely associated with the president, harassment, prosecution, persecution, doxing. Don't you assume you and I will both get cabinet posts? I don't think I could afford it. I really don't. Uh, I just wonder if we're not so far gone. I mean, the bureaucracy is now so huge. Mark Levin made this point the other night. The FBI and the Justice Department, and I lived literally on that block for four years when I worked in the Trump White House. I lived right there at 8th and F in, in uh, downtown. Yeah, you were being you were being wiretapped right directly from the FBI. They didn't even office. need to. They yeah. didn't even need to. Yes. They could hear me. Uh, they're right across the street from each other. They're right across the street from each other. I, I mean, think about that. These are people who 
uh, live together, who are married to one another, whose kids go to school together, who compete for the same judgeships together, who go from office to office, their careers intertwine, they're socially connected. It's outrageous. Yeah, it is, Tom. And look, there's even there's even Republicans and some conservatives who also are neighbors of these people and whose kids are on the same ball teams. And it explains why grassroots conservatives, the further you get outside the beltway uh, of Washington, D.C., um, what Harry Truman referred to as you know, Washington, D.C., as uh, eight square miles surrounded by reality, um, <laughs> that that uh, because you you have these relationships, you go to ball games, and you know your kids are in the same sports and all that. You you you're what Pat Buchanan called um, uh, house trained dogs or. Uh, house-fed dogs or whatever, you, you you lose your edge. You know, I, I recently I've seen some people I know join uh, the Biden administration, uh, and I was disappointed, even though I, I think I know why, which they thought they could do some good in the foreign policy area by doing that. But I, I, I just don't see why you would want to do anything that would help this administration. It's it, this administration is digging a hole so deep that there's serious questions about a, a whether any future president uh, can dig us out of what increasingly looks like a very deep grave. Yeah, no, I I hate to issue this kind of caution, but Donald Trump will have a whale of a hard time uh, after he wins, and I hope that he does, and I think that he will, uh, wins re-election to clear a lot of this out. And if there's a crystal ball, maybe I'm stretching things here, and you can, you can put me on the right path if I am. If there's a crystal ball as to what the United States will look like on the morning of January 21, 2025, we might want to look across the ocean and see what's going on in our beloved state of Israel. Yes. Benjamin Netanyahu reelected pretty convincingly last, God, there's been so many elections. I don't remember when this was, was it March, March or April or something? No, it was uh, before that. It was, I think February or March of last year, Netanyahu wins his sixth term as prime minister. He is hated by Israeli elites absolutely hated, almost to the extent that Donald Trump is hated here. The country has now been driven to a virtual standstill by about, I don't know, 8% of the population, maybe 10% of the population over the so-called judicial reform business, where, of course, Joe Biden has now intervened four times directly, calling the move to to take power away from an unelected, unaccountable Supreme Court and give it to elected representatives of the people. A threat to democracy. Right, a, a, a threat to democracy. But this is what I fear will happen when Trump is reelected. There'll be another wave of, talk about election deniers. I think what we're seeing in Israel, and by the way, these Israeli protesters, no offense to them, they're pikers compared to BLM and Antifa. I mean, no one's taught them yet how to loot and steal and rob and burn and, you know, kill and throw bricks and all that kind of stuff. They just show up with their plastic flags and sing patriotic songs, which is charming and nice, but they don't hold a candle to our protesters. I'm sorry. They don't hold a candle. They're nothing. I just fear that what we're seeing in Israel now with this orchestrated, demonstrated attempt that, by the way, and I, I, it pains me to say this, but it's hardly bringing coals to Newcastle. We've got all these American Jewish organizations that are throwing in Jonathan Tobin's got a great piece at uh, JNS.org, which is a super news site, that all these American Jewish organizations that claim to speak for American Jews are throwing in with the Israeli opposition to this judicial reform. They're not defending democracy. They're doing the opposite of that. They're defending an elitist system that treats the majority of Israelis 
with utter contempt and disregard. They are the, the Israeli silent majority. We can call them the Jewish deplorables, if you will. And I think what we're seeing in Israel could very well be a prelude uh, to what we see here uh, if and when Donald Trump is reelected. Uh, that's a uh, that's a great analysis, Tom. Um, and I, you know, I, I obviously think that, that you're right about that. Uh, it, the, the hypocrisy here, of course, is unbelievable. The front page of The Washington Post a couple of days ago after the vote was held in the Knesset had an article saying the Israeli Knesset defied President Biden today by doing <laughs> such and such as if the Knesset is under the tutelage of President Biden, for crying out loud. He of the party of Ilhan Omar, AOC, and Congresswoman Tlaib. I mean, it's, it's just incredible. But the, 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 as you touched on this, that that Biden is upset that Netanyahu is cutting back the power of the Israeli Supreme Court while Biden and his allies are trying to restrict the authority of the U.S. Supreme Court that is very limited authority, very well regulated, very well defined in our Constitution, etc. I mean, they're arguing two contradictory things at the same time. And there isn't a reporter in America that points, points out the contradiction. You read Thomas Friedman, which I hope you don't, because I know you've got a sensitive stomach. I can't help it. It's a disease of mine. He makes me physically ill, yet I go back to him like dog to vomit. He's been harping on this for six months. He has never once, never once attempted to explain to readers what this is about. What does Tom Friedman, what specifically does Tom Friedman oppose in these reform efforts? We know a few things. The Israeli Supreme Court, even today, after the first step of this reform passed on, when was it, Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that, is the most powerful Supreme Court in the world. Israel doesn't have a constitution, so the court doesn't isn't obligated to fall back on a constitution that limits it because there is no constitution in Israel. They operate under what's called basic law, but I don't want to get too into the weeds. What happened on Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever the, whenever the thing was passed by a vote of 64 to zero, by the way, the opposition walked out. The Israeli Supreme Court operated under a standard that it imposed upon itself in the early 1990s called the reasonableness standard, which meant they arrogated unto themselves the power to opine or issue rulings based on whatever they thought was reasonable or not reasonable. They could throw out uh, a, a ministerial appointments that the government made. They can and they did. They can void laws they don't like because they're quote-unquote unreasonable. A caretaker government, which in Israel happens pretty regularly because governments you know, rise and fall pretty quickly there in the period between the fall of a government and a new election, there's a caretaker. So the, the reasonable standard recently was, was applied to reject uh, the Netanyahu government's attempt to pass a budget. But they can say that it's perfectly reasonable for a caretaker government to make uh, final peace deal plans with the Palestinians. That's fine. So what Parliament did was to say the reasonableness standard is out. But it doesn't change the fact, a lot of people don't know this, and you, I know you know this, the, Isra the justices on the Israeli Supreme Court appoint their own successors. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I know that. But every time I think it, I always think to myself, no, I'm, I must have that wrong. That, that can't possibly be. Uh, this by, they have this no, is all just about ideology, say, isn't it, Tom? I mean, hey, totally. It's all about left-wing ideology. They, yeah. are, they, they don't win elections anymore. The country has certainly moved right. It's much more conservative than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and as the country moves right, the court moves left. It's unaccountable. They get to veto. Parliament can – there's a judicial selection committee that's 
I can't remember how it's broken out. It's like 10 or 12 members. But a member of the court who resigns has veto power over a successor, meaning he gets to pick his or her own successor. It's insane. It's crazy. And what happened on Wednesday didn't even deal with that. All it did was get rid of this reasonableness standard. They have... There's no standing requirement, and you know, you can probably define standing requirement better than I can. A standing requirement in our system means you can't sue unless you're directly impacted by a piece of legislation or um, an action of some kind. In Israel, the Supreme Court says there's no standing requirement, meaning Gary Bauer in Fairfax, Virginia, can appeal to the Israeli Supreme Court to get his neighbor to cut down a tree and the Supreme Court, if it so chose, could accept that. Yeah, this reform is, didn't deal with that either. Which is really insane and uh, particularly insane in a society, and don't take this the wrong way, which some think of as an argumentative society. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? That's not true. We don't yell. We don't argue. <laughs> yeah, I was my first trip to Israel. A couple of the folks that were uh, hosting my trip over, uh, warned me as we were circling the airport. Now, uh, in the next couple of days, Mr. Bauer, uh, you're going to hear people often uh, raise their voices and yell at each other about various things. And, of course, we'll we'll be doing it in Hebrew or whatever, and you may not be able to understand. But I just want to assure you ahead of time, it's not as bad as it'll sound. (laughs) (laughs) I've got I've got a funny Mike Pence anecdote here. Mike and I this is years ago, uh, went out to dinner, I think, with my brother and a couple of uh, his supporters went to an Italian restaurant in Indianapolis and uh, he was there with an aide uh, and all of us agreed with each other. Um, and we just were very voluble during dinner. And as they're pulling away, Mike tells his story as they're pulling away. The aide says, wow, that was, that was really intense. Boy, they were really getting into it. And Mike says, what are you talking about? They all agreed with each other. They're Jewish. That's how they talk. <laughs> I, I, I thought that he would, you, you were going to tell me that he said, man, that, this folks were really angry, and you said, "What are you talking about? They were just ordering off the menu." <laughs> that's right. That's no. That's 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 exactly right. That's exactly right. I think that um, what we're experiencing. Back to the point. What was the point, by the way? Uh, well, I yeah, that that's increasingly what I say about the Bauer and Rose show. What no, is I think point? I know the the point was that. Yeah, a lot of conservatives kind of think that just electing Donald Trump's going to, you know, solve this problem. Really? You went from that and landed up in Tel Aviv. <laughs> <laughs> These so, people are not going to give up without a fight. They have fought bitterly hard for the power that they have. They're not going to give it up that easily. We've seen that. We've demonstrated that. The Donald Trump witch hunts, you know, he the Democrats like to say the most impeached man in history. Trump likes to say the most acquitted man in history. And Kevin McCarthy, and we should have gotten into this earlier than 45 minutes into the broadcast, but Kevin McCarthy finally mentioned what has been, should have been on the table for more than a year now, and that's impeachment. Yeah. uh, Bannon said on his show the other day that he was pleased that McCarthy mentioned that, but he said, uh, let's not be confused about it. McCarthy will finally do something we like when he feels enough bayonets at his back. (laughs) So he, you know, McCarthy was, was hearing a lot of grumping and, 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 uh, you know, Tom, I don't know whether it's politically wise to go down that road or not. I would like to see it do it. But what really drives me crazy is to hear these Republican senators saying, now look, the Democrats are devaluing the whole importance of of how rare impeachment should be, and we shouldn't fall for the same trap by doing it to them. And then you, 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 you hear that, you go, do you hear yourselves? You're telling the Democrats, feel free to impeach every Republican president because we, being good guys, will never do it to Democrat presidents. It's insane, right? You know, it's funny. And I think I probably said this on the show, and I think there's there's merit to the point. But now it's moot because there's plenty of reason to impeach Joe Biden. But I would have argued impeach him anyway for nothing. They impeach Trump. The, here's the irony. The absolute most delicious, delectable, nutritional, fabulous bit of irony that ever was. 
Trump was impeached for beginning the process of uncovering Biden corruption. That's what he was impeached for. That's exactly right. phone call to Zelensky because he was downwind of all kinds of stuff about Biden corruption, access for policy, the Biden corruption scheme in Ukraine to get Victor Shokin, the prosecutor who was investigating Hunter Biden's company, Burisma, to get him fired. Joe Biden brags about it on video at a Council of Foreign Relations a seminar back in, I guess it was 2019, that he got the guy fired because he threatened to withhold a billion dollars if he wasn't fired in the next six hours. It's on tape. It's there. Trump makes a phone call. He gets impeached for beginning the process of investigating Biden corruption. Yeah, no, it's a great point, Tom. And it's something that uh, Republicans should be bringing up all the time. But, but we don't. Course, but we don't. Unless I and, and did I miss Mitch McConnell the other day? I, I you know, I, I looked and looked and I, I don't well, you, I wonder if wait, 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 hold on. Hold on. Because, you know, something bad happened to Mitch yesterday. I did not. You, you didn't know that? No. So, uh, OK, you can thank me later. Um, he was out with uh, the, the rest of the crew. Uh, which do not inspire confidence. And he started to make a statement and he got a sentence out and then he just stopped. And for 20 seconds, he just stared straight ahead until finally the other Republican senators behind him uh, realized that something was wrong. And they, um, they took him by the arm and everybody left the podium uh, now, he came back later, and I think they finished the press conference. Um, it, it looked like, you know, he, he suffered a head injury when, in this last fall. Um, I, I think he joked later that he was sandbagged uh, in a reference to Biden tripping over uh, the sandbag on that stage the other day. To me, uh, it, it looked like a form of epilepsy, which mm-hmm. can occur because of a, of a head injury. But it was a reminder, Tom, of uh, the geriatric nature of American leadership right now. And, um, you, you know, it's it's a sign. I mean, at some point, if 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 people close to Joe Biden that love him ought to be saying to him, uh, hey, Joe, it's time, man. Uh, people who love Mitch McConnell probably should be saying that to him. Um, so anyway, it was just one of those moments uh, that that um, uh, was was pretty dramatic when you saw it. And it seemed well, I, I, a lot longer than 20 seconds. I did not hear a, a word about it. I guess I... Uh, well, that's because I read the New York Times. And, of course, if you read the New York Times, you're the most misinformed American. And you're rewarded for that misinformation by believing and thinking you're the, the, that you're the most informed American. People who read the New York Times, they think they're so uh, so worldly and and so much better informed than the rest of us when, in fact... They're the least informed. But so I assume then since uh, Leader McConnell had uh, this moment of aphasia or a small epileptic, epileptic moment yesterday that his number two, John Thune, then came to the microphone and uh, wailed against Biden corruption. Uh, uh, Senator Thune uh, was one of the, f- the last people to take a step forward <laughs> to see what was happening in the center of McConnell. Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, to me, it felt like it was about 20 minutes. And I kept thinking, how much how much longer are the other Republican senators going to stand there? Also silent. <laughs> it must, if you were a reporter at that point, it must have been a very uh, bizarre moment. Tom, uh, you, the, the point you made a little while ago was so important that uh, if Trump wins, in fact, I would say that almost if any Republican wins, unless one that has so made it clear they will not fight if they take the presidency, um, 
that the left is going to go right back to the summer of 2020. And it will be day after day after day, emergency in America. He's trying to take us back to the days of slavery. You name it, they'll say it. There will be uh, violence in the streets. And I think that's what the purpose of the summer of 2020 was. It was to scare the Hades out of suburban women, particularly to to believe that if Trump won reelection, we were headed to civil war. Um, but, you know, th- this is get, this gets back to this uh, dilemma that, that we have not been able to come to grips with. They are willing to do anything and everything. And a lot of our people are scared to death of anything and everything. Um, I National Review the other day, Tom, wrote a column uh, uh, attacking Jason Aldean. Uh, because of his song. Because that's not what we need right now. We don't need songs about violence. We need to be to have songs about bringing us together. Well, the reaction of the left to the song shows you it's impossible to bring us together. I saw somebody today, they had a great quote. They said, you're not going to defeat the left by giving them a wedgie. (laughs) <laughs> that is not enough to defeat these people. They intend to pull our people out of cars and beat the you-know-what out of them. They intend to threaten businesses, go into restaurants, and harass conservatives out of restaurants. They intend to shut down any conservative that dares to go to university campus and give a speech. They will do whatever they have to do. And the only way to stop that is to show them we are willing to do the same. And I don't think, with all due respect to the president, the former president, that he's he's done that yet. I can just harken back to May 10, 1940, Winston Churchill before Parliament, uh, the morning after he becomes prime minister, when he says, we have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many months of struggle and suffering. And I say to the House... And the ministers who've joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Mm. Well, that's, that's I, I think, where the country is today. Uh, that is the position we are in if we're going to save our constitutional republic. Uh, I, um, I was reminded a couple of days ago of... Um, Paul Harvey's uh, radio commentary first delivered in 1965 and then repeated again in 1996. What would Satan do if he wanted to take down America? And everything that Paul Harvey said in 1964 and repeated in a slightly different version in 1995-96 has happened in the 60 years since Paul Harvey did that commentary. And somebody's got to be writing the commentary that says, what are God-fearing Americans going to do to rescue America after the last 60 years that went on fast forward the last 10 and turning us into something completely the opposite of what the founding fathers meant us to be. Right. I mean, that was one of the great broadcasts of all time. If I were the devil, I'd have families that war with each other, churches that war with themselves. I don't remember the whole thing. Right. Nations that war with themselves, all that kind of stuff. Um, We're out of time. Yeah. You mean America or Bauer and Rose podcast? (laughs) That's the way we've ended like four shows in a row. But you're right. It's a question worth asking. We're out of time. The Bauer and Rose show is out of time, but America uh, is not. Anyway, have a a great uh, weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. 